Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed, also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Welcome to the Week 14 Recap Podcast. My name is Pat Corain, and in just a few moments, I'm going to be joined by everyone from the Roto World team who covered the games for us today. We're going to be diving into the context that you need to know for your fantasy football teams. The Eagles defeated the Giants 48-22 to and Lawrence Jackson. The Eagles have now clinched a playoff spot. Yeah, man, they they clinched the playoff spot and they did it in a fairly easy fashion. Got up 21 zip on the Giants and it was just, you know, they played with at least a two touchdown lead from there. So it was, you know, business as usual for the Eagles and the Giants who started off seven and two. They now find themselves outside of the playoff picture. Yeah, and of course, the Eagles are are looking for bigger things than just making the playoffs. I mean, this is a team that wants the number one seed in the NFC and could easily get it. Uh, let's let's start with Miles Sanders here on the Eagles side. Uh, in game scripts like this, it's nice to see him put up 144 rushing yards, two rushing touchdowns on 17 rushing attempts. He also got targeted three times, only had one for 11 as a receiver, but Jalen Hurts only threw for 217 yards in this game. Sanders being able to salt away the game is kind of, you know, you got to suffer through a lot of so-so to not very useful Miles Sanders weeks, but we've gotten a few of these like really big spike weeks, and this would be another one of those. Yeah, I mean, uh, the interesting thing about this is of those 217 passing yards, Jalen threw for about 170-something of those in the first half. The the second half, they came out strictly committed to the run, and that's really where Miles Sanders got going, just gashing them for five and six yards at a time and eventually scoring his second touchdown in the second half on a 40-yard run. Yeah, it's it's nice to see. Uh, A.J. Brown and Devontae Smith were very clearly the guys here in the receiving game, which is nice considering there wasn't a ton of production, but it was concentrated to the two fantasy-relevant guys. Brown had six targets going four for 70 and a touchdown. Devontae Smith, eight targets, five for 64 and a touchdown. What are your thoughts on this Eagles passing game? I mean, it was a perfect scenario for if you start an Eagle, any Eagles type players, because all of the Eagles players you started had good days. And again, like I said, Jalen Hurts did most of his work in the passing game through the first half. 
that held true for, you know, both receivers, A.J. Brown and and Devontae Smith, both of them catching long touchdown passes in the first half. So it was a good thing to see them get their work and get their fantasy points because by the time the second half came, they didn't have to throw the ball anymore, but they they handled their business when their number was called. Yeah, and Jalen Hurts, you know, I mentioned only throwing for 217 yards, gets two touchdowns through the air, but also rushed for 77 yards and a touchdown on seven carries. So kind of the yes. Eagles did. They took care of business here both in real life and in fantasy. Yeah, yeah. And, and again, Jalen Hurts didn't have many rushing yards in the first half. He had his longest gain of 24 yards in the second half. That contributed to that. He had that uh, touchdown run, which is a 10-yard run in the second half. So a lot of his rushing yards came in the second half. So once they got the lead, man, and they knew the Giants couldn't do anything offensively, they just ran the ball until the game was over. They was bored. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you're not kidding about the Giants not doing anything offensively. Um, Richie James led the way here with 61 yards and a touchdown, seven targets or seven receptions on nine targets. But I, I know at least one of – I think his touchdown came in like pure garbage time from Tyrod Taylor, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's nothing to make uh, – nothing to make of that really – a lot of that came late. Darius Slayton, two catches for 42. All of that came in the fourth quarter. Wow. So nothing was really going on. Um, Isaiah Hawkins, he scored probably the only meaningful touchdown for the Giants. That got the game to 21-7, right? Okay. So after that, it was just kind of like whatever. But what was shocking was that despite them being down so much, there was no garbage time passing stats like whatsoever. Like Daniel Jones finished the day with 169 passing yards and a touchdown. That touchdown pass, which was to uh, Isaiah Hawkins, right? It came after the Giants blocked the Eagles punt. So the Giants already had the ball deep in Eagles territory. So it was kind of set up nice for him there. So, I wouldn't put any, you know, put too much stock into that either. And tough day for the, for the Giants on the ground as well. Uh, Tyrod Taylor comes in in garbage time and then leads the team in rushing. <laughs> yeah. That's not great. Uh, yeah. Saquon Barkley, 9 for 28, 3.1 yards per carry, doesn't score. Daniel Jones does get in the end zone as a rusher, 4 for 26 for him. Gary Brightwell had five carries for 23 yards. Matt Breida, 3 for 6. So, just really nothing here. I mean, what can we take away here from the Giants? We're just kind of forgetting about this game. You, you well, not necessarily. <laughs> take on Bartley haven't like they've been losing or yeah. tying, um, and that has you know that's correlated with what Saquon Barkley not doing well. If he doesn't get going, the Giants' yeah. chances of winning drop drastically. And again, you know, he came down to a game time decision. Eventually, they pulled him. They pulled him a lot earlier than they pulled Daniel Jones in the game. Once the game was over, it was just like, ah, whatever. We'll let Gary Brightwell come in here and get his little 20 yards. So, yeah, you you kind of you have to throw it away because there's nothing else you could do. But it's not like it's going to get easier for them in week 15 at Washington Commanders, who they tied with just a week ago. Yeah, that's a great point. The, the commanders have a sneaky good defense. Maybe not even sneaky anymore. They just have a good defense. Um, yeah. I, I'm, I'm glad you pointed out about uh, Barkley. 
getting pulled earlier because the nine carries is definitely like a, a mild concern if that wasn't the case. But um, maybe maybe not a big deal, especially no, given that he was he was nursing that neck injury heading into the game. But uh, Lawrence Jackson, appreciate it. Yeah, no problem, man. The Lions defeated the Vikings 34-23. to And Kyle Dvorak, the Lions have now won five of their last six games. Yeah, I mean, they looked sharp in this one. It was a, a, a good game in some ways from both sides. Uh, I thought strategically the Vikings played this like at a very base level pretty poorly. And uh, Jared Goff and the Lions just really have been the offense they have been throughout the year, both getting it done on the ground. But this time, Goff in a high-scoring affair – also gets it done through the air. We saw the long Jameson Williams touchdown. Didn't get a ton of run from him in general, but like anytime you can add that element to an offense that was already doing pretty well, like I am not surprised they're making a run for the playoffs. I still think their odds of making it are slim just by like modeling it out. But, uh, you know, I, I hope I hope they make the playoffs are a fun team. Yeah, I guess uh, and we'll get to the Seahawks actually the second game you did, but the Seahawks losing probably helps them. Giants lost. Uh, the, the commanders were on by. When they say probably, of course it helps them. They're competing. They're competing with the Seahawks for that yeah. spot. But uh, but they kind of need some more stuff to happen because the Commanders and the Giants currently in the playoff picture ahead of the Lions. Commanders are on by, but the Giants did lose. So pretty good, pretty good day for the Lions. Uh, let's talk about the passing game first because we had Jamison Williams score a forty-one yard touchdown in this game. Got wide, wide open. Had only two targets here. Only had the one reception for the 41-yard touchdown, but that was kind of exciting. What else did you notice out of the the Lions in the passing game? Yeah, we didn't have, like you said, we didn't have a ton of snaps, definitely not a lot of targets from Jameson Williams. We're still working him back in, but, and I want to say like, but it's exciting to see him catch a long one. Really, like you said, he was wide open. It looked like it was a play-action play. It looked like he sold, like sold a block, and then just ran up the field. Safety doesn't like cover cover with him, and he kind of walks in. It was even like an, an underthrow from Goff, but it just did not matter. So I, I don't want to say like put too much credit on him. It was wide open and didn't require that much. But he was a you know extremely highly touted prospect who comes in and immediately makes a play. I'll give myself license to be a little bit excited. Saw a surprising amount of Josh Reynolds in this game, but overall, you get 40 attempts, you're probably going to get some Josh Reynolds looks. He does happen to find the end zone. And then DJ Chark, who we saw last week, led the team in routes. This week comes in and ties for a team high in catches, leads the team in yards, gets a long touchdown. Like They were firing on all cylinders. I don't think, you know, we still had him on Ross St. Brown lead the team in targets, so there's no concern from me that their production is sort of eating into his role. I think that's just how the, the ebbs and flows of this passing attack works. Yeah, and, and kind of spread out, um, but working, you know? So it's yeah. maybe maybe the fact that he's not completely locked on to Ross St. Brown's actually a good thing. Um, although, as you say, still had plenty of targets, nine targets. Uh, can't com- really complain about that. Let's talk about DeAndre Swift, who, you know, the, the questions heading into this game were like, is he back or can we trust him? I was on sort of the no, we cannot. He is getting he's a he's a fully part time back. This is not what we signed up for. Uh, six for twenty one rushing and uh, three for eighteen on four targets as a receiver doesn't score. I was calling him touchdown dependent. Um, feels like that was correct. Yeah, that was totally correct. Uh, you know, I, I think he's incredibly talented. I think you think the same thing. But, you know, when we're I talking do. about fantasy, we're chasing the points, right? We're looking for opportunity. We're trying to get points. And him playing, I, I saw PFF had him playing fewer snaps than Jamal Williams. Justin Jackson only got like four fewer routes than DeAndre Swift, getting plenty mm. of third down work. Like he is the middle 
third, if that, of a three backfield committee, not getting a ton of carries, but not getting all the receiving work either. Like this was about as disappointing of an outcome from a role standpoint standpoint and a fantasy point standpoint you could possibly get. And ironically, it wasn't even the Jamal Williams, uh, you know, the rushing touchdowns we've become so used to. It was the the Justin Jackson both plundering a touchdown, which I don't think will be commonplace. But the routes, that actually does seem like it has some staying power. And that is a killer for Swift. Yeah, that is a real problem. Uh, moving over to the biking side, Justin Jefferson had himself a game here, 223 yards, 11 receptions on 15 targets. Doesn't score, though. And how much of that was them just kind of, like, in comeback mode? No, it was, like, front to back. I think he had 97 at halftime, if I remember correctly. Uh, you know, I, I wanted him to get a garbage time touchdown because I was playing a little bit, a little bit of Jefferson also. He's just very good, and I like rooting for him. But uh, instead, he just gets like an extra 10 or so yards at the end of the game on like a, a meaningless sort of last play. They're down, as you point out, they're down 11. So there was no way for them to win. But no, this was not garbage time in any way. I mean, yes, they did throw the ball an incredible amount, but it wasn't as though any of it was like sort of futile, except for literally the final catch. So not that we shouldn't expect 223, which is an insane number. I believe the franchise record for Minnesota. Not that we should expect that often, but like 15 targets on 41 attempts. Yeah, if Kirk Cousins attempts 41 passes, I think it was 41. If he attempts that many throws, uh, yeah, 15 targets checks out. And of course, he's extremely efficient. This is a very weak line secondary. Jeff Okuda, who did a... Actually, I think he did a really good job keeping Jefferson in check the last time they faced off. It's kind of in a out of the lineup. I know he was active. I didn't see him on the field a ton. And uh, so the, the coverage didn't work out nearly as obviously it didn't work out at all this time. So, uh, no, nah, Jefferson's insane. This is uh, just an all-star performance. Oh, I almost forgot. They I haven't found a good angle that yet, so I can't, like, confirm 100%. But he had, like, a 39-yard catch on, you know, the second to final drive or their final, like, real full drive. 39-yard catch, breaks some tackles, and steps out of bounds, blows, you know, ref blows the whistle, and he keeps going. He doesn't think he stepped out. Doesn't matter if the ref blew the whistle. Pretty much everyone on Twitter universally agreed he did not in any way step out. Oh, so no. we missed out on the touchdown and something like another 30-some-odd yards that, uh, you know, I can't confirm with my own eyes yet, but pretty much everyone said he he did not uh, step out there. So it was a nuking of a game for sure, but it could have been an all-timer. Wow. Okay, so not only yeah, was this a legitimate 44% target share and uh, 223-yard game, but there was more more meat on the bone if the refs call it right. What's wild? Uh, all right, let's talk about the rest of this passing game. TJ Hawkinson, Adam Thielen. Uh, we had six for 77 for Hawkinson on eight targets, seven for 65 on eight targets from Thielen. He gets in the end zone. Thoughts on those guys? I think they're just secondary receivers, and I think this game kind of shows that there's not really a strong difference between TJ Hawkinson and Adam Thielen. I mean, Hawkinson is even on a uh, per-target basis slightly more efficient in this game, on a per-catch basis slightly more efficient. Thielen gets in the end zone, so that's the the fantasy day made. But really, I think they're both just number two receivers, and I kind of still want to lean towards Hawkinson being like a more true number two based on what we've seen from Adam Thielen's entire body of work this year. He's just not really efficient anymore. Is kind of in this game, but I wouldn't rely on it too much. I personally, I want to keep betting on Hawkinson. Pretty brutal day here for Dalvin Cook. He does get 15 rushes, which you know is like probably fine for this game script, yep. but only goes for 23 yards. Gets in the end zone, which you know salvages anything here, but uh, only one for 13 on two targets, which is 
uh, kind of a bummer here. We just talked about Jefferson's massive day. And, uh, you know, Alexander Madison only had two carries in this game. Didn't get targeted. So it's not like they had some other like receiving running back, I guess. But uh, still disappointing. Yeah, that's sort of the upside in that uh, looking forward, Alexander Madison, two carries, no targets is a really strong sign for Dalvin Cook. But we haven't had the same like slate breaking Dalvin Cook performances we have had in years past in this season. And this one, although like I do think it's possible Cook has lost a step, man, it was brutally predictable seeing almost it felt like every single first down the Vikings were coming out running the football and Dalvin Cook had a fumble at the something like the three or four yard line in which on replay you realize he, he fumbled it because he gets hit in the backfield and he was holding it like a loaf of bread because he was about to throw. He was going to throw a little pop pass to it. looked like oh, TJ wow. Hawkinson open in the middle, but just they got in the backfield too quickly. Whoever the defender was got in the backfield too quickly and he was holding it like a quarterback about to throw a football. But like, why are you, you have Justin Jefferson and even at halftime, we already knew he was like, He's a lock for 100 yards. He's at, I think, 97. Why are you running it on first down with Dalvin Cook? You're not setting him up for success by doing that. You're not setting your team up. And then you have Justin Jefferson, who's destroying. He has been completely uncoverable. And they're like, you know what really needs to get us in the end zone? A Dalvin Cook handoff, then pass. Throw it to Justin Jefferson if you're not sure what to do. Try that. And I, I think Evan O'Connell has done a really good job. But oh, this game was a mess. Penny Sewell here had a had a target. Can you talk about that before we move on? Yeah, it was. Uh, it didn't quite ice the game, but it, it essentially iced the game on like a play action where uh, he comes across the formation as an eligible receiver and actually extends for a ball that you know he's a he's a lineman. You do not want to make him work for it, and he gets up there. He does. I don't know if he like really left the ground, but he like elevates, stretches out for it, and then dives for the first down on a. Very fun play. And, of course, we got all of the um, the Jamar Chase, Penny Sewell comparisons because that was the comp. You know, <laughs> that was the choice for the Bengals. And now we also get Penny Sewell blocking great and catching passes. Yeah, that's right. We can, we can compare them directly now on their route running ability. Let's move to the Carolina Panthers who defeated the Seattle Seahawks 30-24. to I mentioned before how this helps the Lions. The, the Seahawks are now drop out of the playoffs if the playoffs were to end today, although still very much in the hunt. Yeah, I think they're a game. Maybe they jumped to two games back from the 49ers, but they play them next week. So a chance to close the gap, but that is like the the gap they're looking for. The the gap they need to close is specifically over San Francisco. At least that's the, probably the easiest path they have. So this game, I mean, <laughs> you see the box score. You see Sam Darnold through for 120 yards and they won. And you could pretty much guess they played, I'll say, decent defense. I mean, two interceptions, almost a third. Uh, but I think it was uh, J.C. Horn who stepped out uh, on the would-have-been interception. But, uh, you know, three sacks and then a ton of rushing yards and a ton of rushing attempts from everyone. Ironically, 74 and 74 yards from Chaba Harbor, Deonta Foreman, Raheem Blackshear gets in there. Then some basically pass attempts that go down as rushes to Lewis Schnold and D.J. Moore. If they're going to win football games, the Panthers aren't eliminated from the playoffs yet because they play in the, the NFC South. Going to be hard to get eliminated from the NFC South with how everyone's playing. This is how they're going to have to win. I mean, I don't think it will result in winning, right? I don't think for a lot of teams just going out and saying we're going to play the most terrified of using our quarterback style imaginable. I don't think that'll be a lot of teams. 
But I don't think, I mean, I know, I watched this game. I know they do not want to show Sam Darnold. And sort of to his credit, I guess, Darnold's making any backbreaking mistakes in this game. So at least he's lowered the, the sort of floor risk in this context. Yeah, you, you know, you're talking about them potentially going to the playoffs. It's not really that far-fetched. Uh, the Buccaneers are 6-7. and seven. The Panthers are 5-8. and eight. The Panthers have already beaten the Buccaneers once and beat and could beat them again in week 17. They play each other again. Mm-hmm. So like if they have the same record, they would potentially have the tiebreaker would be the first tiebreaker, right? So anyway, That's it's just like idea. it's kind of crazy that this is like a real conversation. If the if the Panthers keep winning some games here, they will make the playoffs. Yeah, you sound in disbelief, <laughs> but man, these NFC South teams have been rough this year. Uh uh, yeah, and they're going to have to do it in what I'll call an ugly way. Foreman playing well, though. Chubba Hubbard ran well. Even Raheem Blackshear ran well. But maybe the most infuriating part of how they have chosen slash been forced to play is we get a DJ Moore goose egg. 0 of 3 on his targets. Technically gets .6 fantasy points for two carries uh, for six yards. I, be- I, would, I would assume these were... Um, you know, passes like behind the quarterback, like so they go down as rushes. But point being, man, they've they, look what they've done to our baby boy DJ Moore. And every single I mean, time, seriously, every single time they switch quarterbacks, uh, either <laughs> right before it or one time during the next phase of the next quarterback, we go. This is what we've been waiting for, guys. DJ Moore last week, I think he got over a hundred. He had a hundred nine percent of the I was back in. Yeah, and we're all like, Sam Darnold saved DJ Moore. No, Sam, like, no, (laughs) Sam Darnold did not save DJ Moore. In fact, being DJ Moore saved DJ Moore last week, but it was not enough this week. Yeah, I mean, I I mean, there's nothing really else to say about this passing game. Well, tell me about Terrace's Marshall's leg catch, which is sort of one of the plays of the day. That was fun. That was a good, a good wholesome moment in this otherwise meh, so-so game where it is, uh, and Pete Carroll challenged it too, and it didn't make any sense to challenge it. It's just a throw that like darts right between his thighs, essentially. Like he's like forced to body catch it. It clenches between his thighs. And I didn't know this. I would have assumed that's a catch, right? But you actually do, unfortunately, have to use your hands to catch the ball. But he held it between his thighs for hmm. so long and tumbled around onto the ground, clenched the whole time. It does not touch the ground, that it's just sitting there between his thighs, and he just touches it with his hands. And that's where the catch technically, that's at the point <laughs> where the catch happens. I know, you're in disbelief. I really did think that you could catch it with your legs. <laughs> you're just not allowed until you touch your hands to it? Yeah, that's kind of how they explained uh, you wow. know, the, the earning of possession. But he held onto it long enough like that he caught it anyways. It was, it was a great time. We almost had... Uh, a bit of an Asta LaVisca moment when uh, LaVisca had like the, the classic, you roll over a defender, you don't hit the ground. He got up. He thought he wasn't tackled. And he was, though. They rolled him down. But would have been fun. Again, mm. these are the little things we're looking for in lieu of DJ Moore catching a single pass. LaVisca Chenault led the Carolina Panthers in receiving yards. I would like that noted. Uh, it was only for 31 yards. That's that's not important, though. I don't need to worry about that. What, what are your thoughts on Deontay Foreman and Chuba Hubbard and their split here because they have the exact same number of rushing yards, 74, but um, Foreman, 21 rushes, Hubbard, 14, which is, you know, good that he was getting more touches, but obviously Hubbard more efficient here. 
Yeah, I mean, I think uh, Foreman has shown that he can and is an efficient back, even in the context of this offense, really doesn't provide him much cover. You don't have to dedicate a lot of your resources as a defense to defend Sam Darnold. So I would I would project him, you know, not like a massive leap in efficiency over over Chuba Hubbard, but I'd project him to both be more efficient and get more carries. I think in this inst- instance, the reason Foreman isn't going to leave the day with a strong carry share is because not so much like targets where you can just keep earning them. 21 carries is a lot for a dude who had a foot injury, uh, you know, earlier in the week. Uh, he always assumed and correctly so said he was playing through it, but he's banged up. So I do think if the team and I, they literally have 46 rush attempts in this game, a few of which are probably kneels or whatever. And a few of them are the backwards passes that are past temps. They go down as rush temps. But if they're going to run 46 times, you probably don't want him a little banged up to be getting 75% of the carries. So I would assume that if in the next game, the rush temps drop down to 30, he has a more stable, a higher share of the carries. That's just going to ebb and flow with how much the team decides can run the football. They've decided they're going to run it a lot. It's just whether they have the opportunity to do so. On the Seahawks side, I don't think there's really anything to say about the backfield. I mean, Travis Homer, nine for 26. Tony Jones, one for two. Uh, Cool. Like, we weren't really playing any of these guys, you know. Uh, That's about how I describe it. Uh, Travis Homer, I got three targets. Uh, Like, they were trailing this game. If they're trailing and Travis Homer isn't getting a lot of targets, what is he doing? What are we get, What are we getting from it? Because that's what he is, you know, known for in a sense, right? That's his role if he's going to have one. Yeah. And then in the receiving game, Marquise Goodwin, 5 for 95 and a touchdown. DK Metcalf, 5 for 71 and a touchdown. Tyler Lockett, 5 for 60 and a touchdown. Uh, Lockett, I noticed, he was really kind of standing out in this game, even though he's he's third on the team in receiving yards. It felt like every time he was going to make a catch, he has like magnetic Claw feet toes. or something. He's got, yeah, he can dig those toes out. He but toe pops he falls out quicker. Of the shoe. Yeah, he somehow his body he gets like heavier once the ball the ball <laughs> maybe it's the the he, somehow it's like the ball all of a sudden weighs a ton of weight because he he quickly gets back down to the ground and touches his toes. It's really impressive. I mean, just obviously. Uh, it's just really he's just really talented at that. But it was it was it's like kind of a. Uh, almost like a, a mental like illusion or some uh, you know an optical illusion. So what you're trying to describe it, it was two two plays at least two plays very specifically. One was a touchdown. It was just like back of the end zone kind of heave defender close by, but Gino throws it to where only Lock can get it. And like not only only lock it as in spatially only lock it, but like only a few players can make that catch. And he like perfect toe drags. Uh, like just the tips of his toes to catch it inbounds in the back of the end zone. And he did kind of a similar thing on the sideline later in the game. It's like his center of mass, which for most people is chest, abdomen, something in that range is on his toes. His pivot point if you were, <laughs> just is his toes. That's where all of his weight somehow is when that's his superpower, when he needs it to be all of his weight in his body shifts right to his toes. So he can just anchor right into an inch of dirt. And he makes very nice catches when he does that. Yeah, I had another one along the sidelines as well, which just had me kind of shaking my head after already having seen that that great touchdown catch. But, you know, I guess decent day here for the receivers. But Geno Smith threw for two pick threw two picks in this game in addition to the three touchdowns. Um, this is a, like somewhat concerning here because, you know, if they're out, the, the Kenneth Walker's out again, you know, this kind of like one dimensional Seahawks offense just lost to the Panthers. So 
any thoughts on that? Yeah, I will say one of his interceptions, uh, he seemed to very clearly think he was getting a free play. And uh, it was, in fact, not a free play. So he was being okay. what, you know, if you're in his mindset, understandably, like, over-aggressive, uh, you know. And, and he, But he almost, like I said, he actually almost had a third pick. So, you know, the variance flows both ways. I kind of agree that, like, this, not only did they not get, uh, like, they not have much of an ability to establish a run game, which they're, you know, they're a higher pass rate over expected team than they have been in past years, but they're still kind of a balanced team. And we've seen them at their best. They have had multiple running backs who can just absolutely blast chunk plays. Not only were they just not having the ability to even set that up, but it, it didn't look like Tony Jones got one carry, so we didn't even see anything of him, but it did not look like Homer or Jones were going to be the home run hitters. I, I mean, the running scheme has been good this year, but the talent of the running backs before these guys, before Homer and Jones are forced in the lineup, the discrepancy is very obvious in this game. All right, Cal Dvorak, thanks so much. Thank you. The Jaguars defeated the Titans 36-22. to I covered this game, and the story of the game was Evan Ingram, who had a career-high 162 receiving yards, 15 targets for Evan Ingram, 11 receptions, 162 yards, and two touchdowns. The first of those touchdowns came when he, he got wide open on a crossing route, and he was able to kind of take it a little bit up the sideline into the end zone. He also um, scored a second touchdown where Trevor Lawrence just kind of put it up and gave him a chance to make a contested catch, which he did along the side of the end zone, brought that in for a second score. Really nice day, obviously, for Evan Ingram. Pretty nice day for Zay Jones. Um, definitely not as, as exciting as Ingram's day, but he had eight for 77 and a touchdown on 12 targets. He had a clear drop in this game. He also had kind of like back shoulder ish kind of thrown more to the the hip, but you know, kind of turns around, has a chance to, to bring in a, bring in that ball does not. Um, so that was disappointing as well as just sort of the, the obvious drop, but then he did also have a really nice catch for a touchdown um, which was a 21-yard a touchdown uh, where it was the deflected pass at the last moment kind of deflected. He's able to – it takes him like a few touches to kind of secure it, um, and he's trying to get his feet in bounds while he's doing this. And he got his right foot in bounds. What on the field was called incomplete, and then they reviewed it, and they found a shot where you could see kind of up the sideline that there was this small sliver of green between his right foot and the sideline and, and you know gives him the ends it gives him the the touchdown catch. So that was very a very nice play by Zay Jones, kind of an up and down day for him, you'd say. But those 12 targets and 77 receiving yards, both of those led all wide receivers, even though Engram led the way in terms of every receiver for the Jaguars. Christian Kirk, disappointing day, seven targets, five for 45. Uh, you know, that kind of sums up the Jacksonville receiving game. I will note Marvin Jones had one for 22 on one target. It's a pretty rough outing for Jones, given that Trevor Lawrence threw 42 times here. And the way this game played out is that, you know, the Jaguars were controlling it really throughout. It was, it was kind of back and forth a little bit, but then the Jaguars took control of the game and they were still kind of passing from a position of strength. Um, be kind of curious to see what their pass rate over expected ends up being in this game, but I think it'll be 
you know, fairly positive. Um, you don't think they went crazy with the passing game because Travis Etienne did have 17 rushes for 32 yards. So there was a, a rushing element here. It just wasn't efficient, but they did, you know, have 17 carries for ETN, four for Jermichael Hasty, Jamal Agnew with one rush. So it wasn't like there was just absolutely no running game. But again, I mean, Trevor Lawrence, 42 attempts. They were dropping back at a decent rate here and, you know, showing some faith in Trevor Lawrence after he had a really bad and disappointing game against the Lions. Obviously, this is very disappointing for Travis Etienne to have only 1.9 yards per carry, doesn't score, uh, you know, not really involved in the passing game at all. Uh, wasn't targeted. So that's obviously a, a concern. I think the passing game usage is probably the bigger concern because uh, we know that this Titans defense is really strong against the run. So I wouldn't be super, super concerned about ETN's really bad rushing performance. It comes in a tough matchup. He's a big play runner. Didn't pop any big long runs here. But definitely uh, a concern with him not being involved in the passing game, particularly because they are facing the Cowboys next week and so we could you know expect them to be trailing in that game passing game usage would be really nice if they're trailing against the cowboys moving to the Titans side of this derrick henry had a big game 17 carries 121 yards and a touchdown he looked really good on some of his runs he had a 50 yarder just kind of breaking into the open a little bit more than we've seen recently and when he's in the open like maybe not like as fast as he was three years ago maybe but it's still like you know the visual impression of this this guy in the open field is still very concerning for defenders. I don't think that's changed at all. And he was still looking like he was getting up to, you know, a pretty good speed. I, I don't think, you know, the kind of narrative of like, oh, is, is Henry kind of done? Um, it doesn't look, doesn't look like it to me. So Henry was involved in the receiving game here, which is important because, as I said, Jacksonville had control of this game. Henry had five targets here, three for 34 as a receiver. He did lose a fumble. As a receiver, um, which was, you know, ball kind of got punched out as he's on the sideline, kind of was about to get kind of forced out of bounds, but the ball comes out first. Jaguars defenders right there to recover it. He then also got charged with a second loss fumble, which I feel like is a little unfair to Henry in a sense, um, because it was really a bad snap type of play. But it was looking, it looked like a direct, it was a direct snap, basically, some kind of trick play. I'm not sure exactly what was going to happen. I think Henry might have been ended up handing it off to Okonkwo or something, but um, whatever the trick play was, didn't work. The direct snap kind of too far over was kind of like, like it still was being snapped at Tannehill who then clearly he sort of turned around and was like out of the play immediately. Henry had a chance to pick the ball up, was trying to do so with one hand, probably should have just fell on it and defender was able to, to grab it um, from him. So, Two lost fumbles, but I would say only one like real fumble fumble um, and not the type of thing that would have the Titans reconsidering their commitment to a guy like Derrick Henry. So I wouldn't worry about that. Just kind of an unfortunate uh, feature of his fantasy day in the receiving game. Austin Hooper led the team with five for 68 on five targets. Uh, that kind of tells you that this <laughs> the receiving game wasn't really getting going. If Austin Hooper's leading the way. Robert Woods had one 18 yard catch. It was pretty nice. Um, but he had five for 49 on seven targets, really did nothing outside of that one play. Austin Hooper had a 24-yarder where he was wide open. Uh, It was kind of like not exactly a check down, but Tannehill sort of looking around, looking around, and then finds Hooper over the middle of the field. He's able to get up 
along the sideline. He's wide open when Tannehill finds him, able to pick up some yak as he kind of runs over to the sideline, then up the sideline a little bit. Uh, and then Okonkwo, the rookie, he had six for 45 and a touchdown on six targets. He kind of leaped into the end zone early in the game. That was a nice play. Uh, his longest of the day, 15 yards. That was a 10-yarder, the the touchdown. So he had a couple nice plays, but, uh, you know, he's splitting time with Austin Hooper. So it's it's just going to be tough to trust. Like, this was kind of the matchup if you were going to start Oconquo. And, uh, you know, he delivered with a decent day. It's definitely going to be harder to trust him once Traylon Burks gets back. But I will note, they play the Chargers next week. Henry should be able to get going against the Chargers. Maybe the passing game gets going. It's, it's a counterpunch to you know, a very effective running game. You could see Henry being quite effective against the Chargers defense that is terrible against the run. Nick Westbrook-Akine here had three for 23 on eight targets. He does get in the end zone. This was a late score. Not exactly garbage time, but certainly wasn't overly competitive at that point. Maybe you would even call it garbage time, but uh, it was, you know, pretty decent play. Two-yard touchdown, but um, Westbrook-Akine was kind of the type of, type of play you might have seen from further out where he had to kind of come down with it in the corner of the end zone, just kind of like threw it up to him in the corner. Uh, Tannehill, in addition to the two uh, passing touchdowns, did run in one touchdown just from a couple yards out. Uh, Oh, I'm sorry. It wasn't actually Tannehill. It was Lawrence who ran in the touchdown uh, just from a couple yards out. And so that, that totaled four touchdowns for Lawrence. Tannehill, what I wanted to note is that he threw for an interception. <laughs> so, you know, another another bad uh, outcome for Tannehill. He threw for an interception. It was just kind of looked like he maybe didn't see a defender over the middle of the field. And then Tannehill also lost a fumble in this game, strip sack uh, for, for Tannehill here. So four turnovers from Tannehill and Henry combined. Uh, that obviously put the Titans in a bad way. This is a team that, you know, kind of needs to be playing from ahead from a position of strength, given their dependence on the run game and their lack of weapons in the receiving game. But that'll do it for the Jaguars and the Titans. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Do you want a beautiful lawn? Enter True Green, the easiest way to get a great lawn. Just water and mow and they'll do the rest. Weed control, fertilization, aeration, and more. True Green is the official lawn care treatment provider of the PGA Tour. And they have a verified best price, which guarantees you the lowest price with no compromise on quality. You do you. Let True Green do your lawn care. Visit TrueGreen.com, T-R-U-G-R-E-E-N.com to get the best lawn at the best price with the best people. Guaranteed. Just a reminder that if you don't have the NBC Sports Predictor app, go download it now. The contests are free and easy to play, and you have a shot to win thousands this weekend by predicting what will happen in college football, on the PGA Tour, and in the World Cup. There's also $100,000 up for grabs by guessing the outcome between the Giants and Commanders in our Sunday Night 7 contest. The Bengals defeated the Browns 23-10, and Denny Carter, T. Higgins was active for this game, but he 
really didn't play after re-aggravating his hamstring injury. Yeah, apparently he hurt his hamstring or re-injured his hamstring in, in warm-ups. Uh, he ran one route on the day uh, mm-hmm. and obviously did not see a target, uh, did not come back. It was a coach's decision per Zach Taylor to, to keep him on the sideline. Uh, that meant a big day, uh, I should say big target day, okay day otherwise for, for Jamar Chase. Trenton Irwin stepped in as an every down uh, receiver, uh, caught a long touchdown, and uh, and then also Tyler Boyd left this game with a finger injury. So Joe Burrow was down bad. He was didn't have Hayden Hurst, didn't have T. Higgins, did not have Tyler Boyd. Yeah, but he, he did okay, I guess. Two hundred thirty nine yards passing, two touchdowns, not super productive. Jamar Chase, ten receptions, one hundred nineteen yards and a touchdown. Yeah, so that was a pretty good day. Fifteen targets, very good. Uh, Trenton Irwin. You know, made a little statement here. Two for 58 <laughs> and a touchdown on two targets. That's something. Yeah. Uh, you know, Chase uh, basically saw 50% target share. So not not much else going on in the in the, in the Bengals uh, passing attack. And, you know, uh, it was nice to see, though, Chase got it done without catching, like, you know, like a 60-yard touchdown here. You know, it was all, it was all like 10, 12, 15-yard mm-hmm. gains. A um, lot of those. And uh, if, if both Boyd and Higgins are out next week, I think we'll see more of that from Chase. Having never seen Mitchell Wilcox in my life, uh, when I saw Trenton Irwin streaking to the end zone, I was like, oh, good for Mitchell Wilcox. <laughs> Turns out that's not who that is. I, I actually thought the same. Uh, and uh, and then as the announcer said, uh, Trenton Irwin scores a touchdown. <laughs> uh, Joe Mixon here was back after a couple missed yeah. games from a concussion, 14 rushes for him, 96 yards. Uh, Samaji Piran had four for 22, and he scores the touchdown. What were your thoughts on the backfield split? Yeah, I mean, you know, it was it was Mixon for sure as the lead back, 14 carries, 96 yards. He had a 40-yard rush in the second half, uh, big play. You know, he looked fine. Uh, P. Ryan only saw the four carries. He bounced one outside on a green zone touch that uh, ended up in the end zone. Just a, just a tough, tough runner. Has a lot of dog in him, as I said, I think each of the past three weeks here on this show. Um and then uh, it was actually P. Ryan with five targets to only two targets for Mixon. If you look at the the routes there, you have um, Mixon running, uh, let's see, 16 routes to 19 routes for, for, for P. Ryan. So, you know, P. Ryan, Mixon doesn't have that lockdown at all, uh, and I don't think we can expect that going forward. And That's pretty interesting. Uh, on the Brown side, this is like a less disastrous game. For the Browns, right. and you know the the Browns' offense was absolutely putrid last week against the Texans. So progress, I guess, but still not a very strong day for Watson. He had 276 yards, a touchdown, and an interception. And then weirdly, Amari Cooper wasn't a big part of the success that mm-hmm. they did have. 242 on seven targets for him, and it was Donovan Peoples-Jones and David Njoku who led the way. It's hard to say how much Amari Cooper's hip injury that he picked up on Thursday at practice really affected him here against the Bengals. Uh, he, he did have one uh, long catch, 24-yard catch down the sideline. Uh, saw seven targets. So the usage was there. He just didn't come up with much of anything on only the two catches. Uh, Peoples-Jones paced the team with eight catches on 12 targets for 114 yards. That included a 28-yard grab. Uh, really nice, nicely thrown ball from Deshaun Watson. Uh, and, and also Peoples-Jones almost came down with a late touchdown. Uh, could have made his day really nice, mm. but you know I would guess that that Cooper was a little bit iffy, you know, not not quite a hundred percent with that 
with that hip. And and speaking of Njoku, you know, uh, he did almost all of his damage on one drive. Uh, it caught three or four passes on a single drive, uh, scored his touchdown on that drive. They just decided, okay, well, we're just going to feed David Njoku here until they stop it. Bengals didn't stop it, and Njoku ends up with a nice day. And as far as long as he's healthy, as long as Njoku's healthy, like he's a borderline elite fantasy play. Yeah, yeah, he's he's been really productive when he's out on the field. Yeah, Nick Nick Chubb disappointing game here. I thought they'd be leaning on him in a big way uh, against a Bengals team that you can run on, but he only had two point four yards per carry here. Fourteen rushes, thirty four yards. It wasn't like Kareem Hunt was stealing that much work as, as a rusher. Only four carries for six yards for Hunt. Right, and uh, I, I think the Bengals were daring the Browns to beat them through the air, uh, and. They, they, they really had the box stacked up with a lot of defenders, uh, especially early in the game before, you know, before they grabbed a lead on Cleveland. Uh, so Chubb had his work cut out for him. I, I think, I think until teams are, you know, a little bit scared by Deshaun Watson and the passing attack there, he's going to continue to face, you know, the not very friendly fronts. Uh, and, and, uh, that has, that has hurt him in, in recent weeks. And again, yeah, Kareem Hunt, not, not involved in much at all. Kareem Hunt is based is just a, just running back insurance at this point for Hunt. I mean, for, yeah. for, uh, for Chubb. Yeah. Yeah. It is pretty interesting just how, you know, how teams are just not respecting Watson. And maybe, maybe a sign of that is that on a fourth down play, they, they brought in Jacoby Brissett here. Uh, he didn't You're convert right. it. <laughs> it was, it was very weird. Yeah. Fourth and less than one, they throw deep. They brought in the big body quarterback who was pretty good at <laughs> to throw deep and he dropped back to throw. It was a galaxy brain move. So I have to respect them for that. But uh, <laughs> I, also, I also have to question uh, what, what are you doing there? It's Kevin Stefanski. <laughs> All right, let's move to the chiefs who defeated the Broncos 34 to 28. A big story of this game. Jerry Judy had three touchdowns, eight receptions, 73 yards, nine targets, and three touchdowns. I don't think it's a, mis- uh, a coincidence that court, you know, he did this with Cortland Sutton on the sideline with a hamstring injury. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, they Russell Wilson really looked to Judy. I, I'll be interested to see how many uh, first read targets Judy had. I would guess uh, quite a lot. You know, nine nine targets led the team. Dulcich was one behind with eight. So that it is actually a pretty concentrated. Uh, target tree uh, when when Cortland Sutton is out, it would just be Judy, basically Judy and Dulcich are the only reliable pass catchers in that offense. And they and the and the Broncos, to their credit, you know we we don't often give the Broncos much credit on any show. Uh, it, they they did lean into the pass here um, with you know facing a big a big deficit, and you know what it almost worked because uh, I have a I have a sneaking suspicion they 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 would have really made this one uncomfortable for the Chiefs had Russell Wilson not suffered a head injury late in that game. Yeah, Russell Wilson um, kind of dove forward. It looked like his foot caught a defender's foot that sort of like changed yeah. the position of his body flying through the air, comes down on his head, uh, immediately taken in the blue tent. They actually pointing out on on red zone, they, he had like a like a welt on his, yes. on his head. Yes. came out very hard on his head. So, yeah, ruled out with a concussion. Brett Rippon comes in. Throws for a, a touchdown to Judy, so kind of kept that train rolling, but yes. obviously hurt what they could do the rest of the way. Yeah, uh, you know, and, and Rippin threw a, uh, a back-breaking interception late in the game. Uh, not saying that Russell Wilson wouldn't have done that, but 
I mean, Wilson, I, I said on the show last week, you know, against the Ravens, Wilson was good. Like he was, he was fine. You know, I mean, not, not, not spectacular because the, the game plan against the Ravens for some reason was to establish the run against the tough rush defense. Uh, you wrote, you wrote about that in your walkthrough this week, or it makes no sense. Yeah. And, uh, but they, but they attacked, they attacked the weakness of the chiefs uh, here. And, and it was, uh, it, it worked out. So I, I do have some vanishing hope uh, for Russell Wilson headed into next year. Maybe he's not completely washed. All right, that's something. Uh, it better not be because I think people <laughs> cannot move on from him. So they got to no. figure it out no. one way or another. Any thoughts on the backfield here? Latavius Murray, eight rushes, 32 yards. Marlon Mack had three for 15. Mike Boone, three for two. So yeah. not much production, but but too, like, too many people here for the level of, of inefficiency that we're generally going to see out of this backfield. And then we also saw Mike Boone get two targets going, two for 27. Marlon Mack had three targets, two for 62. Yes, uh, right. obviously ripped off a long run. Mm-hmm. Uh, Latavius Murray had five targets going three for minus one, but he did at least lead the way in target share. Yeah, if you look at you know snap share, uh, Mike Boone was relegated to RB three status. Marlon Mack played twenty two snaps out of seventy two for the Broncos. Uh, Latavius played thirty eight and ran a lot of routes, twenty four routes to thirteen routes for Marlon Mack. But Mack broke off the sixty six yard touchdown. Run, you know, he he looked explosive. He looked fast, and I I think that it you know it may may show the Denver coaching staff that hey you know this this guy has a thousand yard season under his belt. Uh, you know he's bounced around. Maybe maybe we'll see what he has in in these last in these last couple of games, three games of the season, uh, and and go from there. We know what Latavius Murray is, and I think they know as well. I wouldn't be surprised if Mac has worked in a little more down down the stretch. I. I think that he's a an interesting, if if thin, pickup this week on the waiver wire. Yeah, that, that makes sense. Uh, yeah, if Latavius Murray's going to be down to around fifty percent of snaps as well, that's that's obviously extremely concerning yeah. since there's no that real value here. And then if Russell Wilson's out next week, obviously it's pretty tough. Um, let's talk the Chiefs, who Jarek McKinnon, kind of the story here. Yeah, not the leading rusher, six for twenty-two to Isaiah Pacheco's thirteen for seventy but is the leading receiver for a Patrick Mahomes team, seven for 112 and two touchdowns. Naturally, as as we had <laughs> projected going into this exactly. game. Uh, yeah, but, you know, McKinnon has been, uh, I don't know, an irritant for Pacheco for, for a while now. You know, he, he it's, not, it's not that he sees, you know, just, just the passing down work. I mean, he sees green zone touches. He sees some high-value touches, takes that away from Pacheco. Uh, really lowers his his ceiling, I, I would say. Um, you know, against the Broncos, McKinnon ran 25 routes to only 12 routes for Pacheco. Like you said, caught seven of eight. Uh, was the recipient of an incredible backhanded flip by Patrick Mahomes early in the game. Just you know, like like an improvised play that's going to go on his career highlight, no doubt. I mean, it's just uh, unbelievable. And and McKinnon got into the end zone on that one. And I, I think, you know, McKinnon has been interesting in PPR formats. You're not going to get a blow up like this maybe ever again from him. But he, I think he will continue to be interesting because the Chiefs are one of the few teams that establish the pass and and continue to pass even when they're ahead. We saw that again today. So I, I, I do think he should he should definitely be rostered in 12-team leagues, and, and he's not a bad flex. Yeah, I would recommend, if in case anyone hasn't seen the – the pass you're talking about to McKinnon, I would 
highly recommend making sure you see it. It looks like a video game glitch. <laughs> like, right. He sort of tosses it like as he's running to the sideline, it kind of comes out of his hand. All it's yeah. amazing. You know, it, it, Mahomes. Just uh, as an aside, he he strikes me as as I guess maybe one of maybe like two or three quarterbacks in the league. They, who, they don't react to anything. They they anticipate it. They anticipate everything, uh-huh. and he seems to anticipate everything exactly right. Uh, yeah. So it's just one of those plays you just can't believe. Well, so he does throw three interceptions here. Yes. What, what, would, what would the deal with those? <laughs> yeah, yeah, it was up and it was definitely an up and down game. I mean, in the first quarter, I was thinking this is a four hundred yard three hundred three touchdown game for Mahomes. You know, it, he didn't. It come. almost was right. It didn't come, uh, uh, but I wasn't thinking three three picks uh, uh, and. Yeah. Uh, the you know the uh, Denver defense was really focused on taking away Travis Kelsey, and Mahomes just couldn't help himself a few times and really forced the ball mm-hmm. to Kelsey. That that resulted in two of those interceptions. Uh, I, I I'm guessing he's kicking himself because they were just unforced errors with the Chiefs ahead, and it really fed the the the, the Broncos like rah rah comeback mode. I'm trying not to use the word momentum, Pat. Um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> rah, rah, comeback mode is code <laughs> you know but uh it, it definitely um was was strange to see Mahomes struggle at times in a game where he looks so good any thoughts on the non-kelsey pass catchers yeah. non-mckinnon non-kelsey guys yeah for sure i i had to mention uh that uh, Juju was up to uh, a really good route rate, 38 routes on 44 dropbacks from Mahomes. Uh, no one else was really close here. It was rotational between Sky Moore, MVS, and Justin Watson from there. 11 targets led the team for, for Smith-Schuster. Um, caught nine, including a, a touchdown on another improvised play by Mahomes. So, you know, it, look, it's his, it's his first like truly fantasy relevant game since week nine. And that was before the head injury he suffered against Jacksonville the following week. So it, it's nice to see Juju might be back as that like low end wide receiver two in PPR formats. All right. Denny Carter. Thanks. Thanks. The Cowboys defeated the Texans 27 to 23, but Rivers McCown, this was a close game. It was a extremely close game and a weird game where the Texans were able to turn two turnovers and a muffed punt, or sorry, two picks and a muffed punt into 14 points and a fourth and goal try to go up by 10, and they did not get it. Yeah, I'm looking at the, the Yahoo's got the win probability tracker, and at one point, three minutes and 25 seconds left in this game, the Texans had a 78.6% chance to win. They did not convert. Uh, they turned the ball back over to the Cowboys. Cowboys go down and are able to score. Uh, Tony Pollard, let's talk him first. 10, 10 rushes here, 42 yards and a touchdown. He also had four receptions for 20 yards and a touchdown on five targets. He did not lead the backfield in terms of carries. Zeke did. Zeke scores the final touchdown, the game-winning touchdown. Um, he had 62 yards as a rusher, but you know Pollard's still very much kind of the the top playmaker in the backfield. Is that fair to say? Uh, definitely the best-looking running back today. Uh, Pollard uh, got a, I think, a, a nine-yard catch for his touchdown in the red zone. 
uh, kind of a goal to go thing where they actually went backwards at first and then he had to catch them up. So he looked really good. Uh, but more importantly, uh, Zeke got his 15 carries. So the Cowboys are undefeated and that's just analytics. That's just how it goes. <laughs> In this case, it actually was Zeke who helped them score. So yeah, on, literally, on literally his 15th carry. See, just proves it's true. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> um, down game here for CD lamb, only five for 33 on six targets. Um, Michael Gallup had just two for 40 on six targets. So Dalton Schultz stepped up in a big way with 10 targets here, six for 87, but kind of overall, just not a ton in the Dallas passing game. What were your thoughts on Dak and, and why the passing game wasn't clicking? The Texans really junked it up on defense. They ran a lot of zone. They didn't blitz very much at all. Uh, Dak had problems kind of hitting these intermediate throws in the zone. Uh, he had two picks. One of them was off of uh Noah Brown's shoulder pad on like a double slant to the outside. Another one, he had his arm hit while he was releasing the ball. Um, and and just, you know, they kind of looked out of sync. They kind of looked like, you know, they didn't really know how to attack this and eventually kind of settled on Schultz and Schultz uh, dropped a touchdown. And I think another ball too, like he did not look very good, but they kept force feeding them and eventually it worked out for them. Okay. So maybe saying he stepped up is, is a little too kind, but he got a lot of targets. Um, <laughs> On the Texan side of this, what? how are they able to be competitive? Because when I look at this, I mean, Davis Mills, he had 21 attempts, threw for an interception, no touchdowns. And then I see Jeff Driscoll in the box score. He had six <laughs> attempts. He throws for the only passing touchdown. It's a very bizarre – I mean, is that actually that bizarre if I if the game played out like I thought? Like if they lost 40-7 to seven or something? <laughs> then sure, this makes all the sense in the world. But they, they almost beat the Cowboys here. How did this happen? So they literally platoon quarterbacks, and they had Jeff Driscoll come in as their red zone guy. Uh, he came on a couple other times as well, like when they when they were in their own deep at their own end. But he's basically like an extension of running game quarterback. Uh, he had kind of a wild uh, drift out of the pocket throw where he hit Amari Rogers for a touchdown, um, and then of course okay. helped out uh, Damian Pierce in in the run game in the box in the red zone on their first touchdown. So it's uh, <laughs> I've never seen anybody do this in a game in, in the NFL, it was extremely bizarre. And yeah, uh, if you want your super flex uh, QB five, uh, Jeff Driscoll, <laughs> Jeff Driscoll is who you want over Davis Mills, I think. Yeah. If you play in any double super flex <laughs> leagues, definitely got to go to the waiver wire and get Jeff, Jeff Driscoll here. Damian Pierce, um, only 3.5 yards per carry, but 22 carries for 78 yards and a touchdown. Uh, lost a fumble in this game, but yeah, there was some concern for like, are we even trusting this guy a couple weeks ago? And, and he's kind of come back to life here over the last couple weeks. Yeah, he has. Uh, and uh, to be fair to to, Je- to Jeff Driscoll, who we keep <laughs> crapping on here, uh, he actually did help out Damian Pierce a little bit in the red zone here. Um, Pierce hurt his ankle at the in the are fourth you quarter. This, this red zone Driscoll thing works. Uh, <laughs> To some extent, nobody had seen it before. <laughs> I'm sure they'll fix it next week, but for now, uh, right. Pierce, hurt, Pierce hurt his ankle in the fourth quarter, um, did not come back in. That's something to oh. look forward to for the uh, Week 15 injuries. Um, they didn't really have a lot of time to replace him. They tried Rex Burkhead in the in the uh, goal-to-go offense, and he got uh, minus three yards on his two carries. So it's about what you'd expect. And I, I guess if I had to pin a, pin on one guy right now, probably Eno Benjamin will get more of the carries, but um, it's kind of up in the air. Okay, that's good to know. 
Chris Moore had 10 receptions, 124 yards on 11 targets. You mentioned Amari Rogers had the touchdown, 457 on five targets for him. Very quiet game for Philip Dorsett, two for 18 with three targets. Obviously, no Nico Collins here, no Brandon Cooks. So, you know, this is probably none of this is probably all that actionable, but but Moore's game strong enough that I wonder, like, is he going to get some more work out of the slot when these guys come back, or you just think this is kind of fluky? Uh, I mean, it, it's fluky in the sense that if Nico Collins is back next week, I don't think he'll get all the targets. But Moore definitely is the guy they trust on these like quick screens. Um, he had a few of those. He had a couple deep catches on the sideline. Uh, he had one kind of garbage time catch for I think thirty one. So I mean, he was looking pretty good out there. It's 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 not out of the realm of possibility that he's a flex next week. All right, Rivers McCown. Thanks so much. I watched Jeff Driscoll, so you didn't have to. <laughs> the Bills defeated the Jets twenty to twelve, and Patrick Darty Bam Knight solidified his control over the Jets' backfield here. He had Michael Carter back from his one-week absence with an ankle injury, uh, but the Jets follow through on their pledge of continuing to ride the hot hand of Zonovan, better known as Bam Knight, who had 17 carries for 71 yards. He's now reached 69 yards in all three of his first – in each of his first three NFL appearances, You know, a guy who had not received a touch before week 12. He comes in. And has really just turned into three best rushing performances by any Jets running back not named Brees Hall this season. And they, they stuck with the committee. I mean, Michael Carter wasn't – it wasn't like he didn't have a role, uh, but he got eight touches, only five carries, only five yards on those five carries, lost a devastating late fumble. Um, mm. Michael Carter, it's probably not like all she wrote for Michael Carter because – he didn't seem to kind of render Ty Johnson irrelevant. Ty Johnson didn't even get a touch in this game. James Robinson was a healthy scratch again. But, I mean, <clears throat> Bam Knight has been put, posting the best box scores. The film looks the best. Uh, there's absolutely zero reason to expect uh, there to be a change in this going forward. Yeah, and this is like a big enough split where, you know, not not only did he have 17 rushes, but he does actually have two targets, uh, two for six as a receiver. So, like, there's, you know, Carter had six targets here. Um, but still, I mean, if you're getting this kind of, like, rushing load difference with a little bit of work in the passing game, he feels, like, pretty trustworthy. Yeah, he does. And he's just too bad on the ground, you know, is obviously where he just kind of looks like he's got, like, like a little violence to the way he's running, mm-hmm. kind of like the way Brees Hall did. And an element that they have been searching for I guess maybe they thought they were going to get in James. I don't know what the Jets thought they were getting in James Robinson, but uh, whatever. They might have had tape on from a couple of years ago. Yeah, because they did not find what they were looking for. Uh, It's interesting with Knight, like when he's out there, he kind of looks to me a little like Michael Carter. So then it has the effect of when I find out it wasn't Michael Carter, me like directly comping that run to Carter. Oh, he's way better than Carter. Yeah, I know. (laughs) Actually, the same thing is happening to me too. I'm like, wow, this guy's a lot better than Mike. I, I think the Jets, too, we talked about this in the podcast, but it just doesn't seem like the Jets are all that impressed with Michael Carter. That anytime like someone gives them a reason to feature someone other than Michael Carter, they're going to do it. And it's very, I mean, Zonovan Knight has given them every reason to just continue featuring him, him over Michael Carter. Yep. Uh, Garrett Wilson cooled off here a little bit. Seven targets. Six for 78 as a receiver, but doesn't score. Does lead the Jets in receiving yards. So I don't think anything to be too concerned about. But, you know, the the fantasy, he was like making fantasy teams kind of 
uh, the playoff push, you know, was almost dependent on him for some of these teams down the stretch here, and he, he definitely cooled off a, a little bit. He did. It was uh, kind of a day of variables from him, at least early in the game. Uh, the CBS booth was talking about Tredavious White actually shadowing Garrett Wilson, which I, they don't. I don't think they've been doing much this year. I mean, Tredavious White, Tredavious White, obviously he's not been doing it much this year because he's been hurt a lot of the year. But they respect him enough. They're having Trey White shadow him at least early in the game, and then things just kind of. The Jets passing attack, we got a lot of volume from Mike White, 44 attempts, I believe. But things kind of went off the rails because he took two just brutal shots to his midsection. It was like really, really concerning hits um, where the first one only knocked him out for one play. The second knocked him out for a series. It frankly should have knocked him out for the game. He could like barely move. He looked like he was in like abject terror of getting hit after coming back after the second one. But they still had more faith in him than Joe Flacco. But things were just not crisp like pristine after those hits and uh, just kind of like into the weather was really bad there were just a lot of variables working against Garrett Wilson on Sunday so fantasy managers can probably honestly be happy that he even got like the six catches for 78 yards that he did that he did it seems Mike Mike White had to go to the hospital after the game uh, but then he, he made the team flight back to New, New Jersey or LaGuardia or wherever the Jets fly into uh Seems like he'll probably be good for week 15, but I would not take that for granted. All right. That's, that's very important to note. Uh, Elijah Moore here had 10 targets, six for 70. That, those 10 targets are the most by any Jets receiver. Uh, quite a bit more than Corey Davis, who only had one. And Corey Davis only went one for 15. So this seems like a pretty important step in the right direction here for Moore, where after this game, uh, it's like probably fair to say he's the number two over Davis. Is that or is that well? Unfortunately, the, the, with the caveat, Corey Davis w- was injured in this game. Oh, actually. okay. Oh, that is uh, a, con- a concussion. Caveat. Oh, um, so well, at least they said a head injury. I don't know if they're trying to like give themselves cover, like claim a Monday or Tuesday. Actually, it wasn't a concussion, um, but he departed early with a head injury. So Elijah Moore, then he draws ten targets. He, he had only fifteen total targets between weeks four and twelve. You know, 16 over the past two weeks, uh, and that includes six when Corey Davis was healthy in week 13. So Elijah Moore's role is growing for sure. And it seems like when anyone other than Zach Wilson, the Jets just, like, can't help it. They love, like, this high volume, like, quick-hitting passing attack. Uh, so it seems like they're – I mean, I know – we know that, like, they don't want – they don't actually want Mike White attempting 40 to 45 passes a game, but 30 to 35 seems pretty – like a reasonable weekly expectation. And you, that should create six to eight weekly targets for Elijah Moore, who we know is a good player. We know he was going through some stuff earlier this year, but uh, he, he's a good, he seems like a good quality NFL player. And it, it seems like he's finally back in the coaching staff's good graces. Well, that's good, at least. Okay. Uh, on the Bills side, I was wondering if they might be like a little bit lower volume in the passing game. And they, and they were here, only 27 attempts for Josh Allen. The assumption then would that they would be high volume as in the running game, and they kind of weren't. Devin Singletary only has eight carries for 39 yards. James Cook just four for six. Josh Allen rushes 10 times for 47 yards and a touchdown. So, you know, that's that's an important rushing contribution from the quarterback. But still, it's not like uh, there just wasn't all that much fantasy value on, on this offense this week, more less than we're expecting. Uh, no, yeah, it was a weird, weird, weird day for the Bills. 147 yards passing were Josh Allen's fewest of the season. And so it was really rainy. It was really windy. 
it was two tough defenses. So, so like they weren't having success in general, but it seemed like what really happened to the bills was like the jets were somehow like, like sustaining drives a little longer, but they still weren't ending in points. So like the jets had the ball for 35 minutes to the bills, 25 minutes. Uh, but it was just like junk volume. Like it was not like productive volume. It was just like the jets were having like longer go nowhere drives than the bills. Like the bills, bad drives were shorter like the Bills, like actually had a few productive scoring drives where the Jets just didn't really have that. And it's like the, the Jets were doing like a better job of playing a keep away, uh, but they were not playing keep away and then scoring points. And so it's kind of like everything conspired to limit the Bills volume on Sunday. Okay. That makes a ton of sense. That's like kind of the missing uh, key, you know, the key to this that I didn't see in the box score, the missing context that, you know, we provide on this podcast, but that's, <laughs> Perfect example. You Perfect know, also, example the, the missing context also is that I'm uh, battling through a horrible virus. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> my voice, uh, I'm sorry for the quality of my voice occasionally is giving way. Let's talk about the receiving game here before we move on. And just kind of, I guess, any thoughts on the backfield, actually? Uh, the split, two to one, but it's such a small sample, eight to four. You know, can we take anything from this? I, I, not really. I, I think the thing to take is that James Cook's overall role remained larger than it was before week 13, where I think that the initial snap counts had him over 40%, which would be the second week in a row. He played over 40% of the snaps. And like you said, the real takeaway is this, like the volume won't look impressive if you don't do any further research, but that I think the overall role appears bigger. It just didn't translate to volume. And now, yeah, we can't say he's like, going to be ahead of Devin Singletary still in the touches department. We were, I, I was kind of hoping for that this week. You kind of truth told us in that, that that would not happen on the podcast. I was a little and, skeptical. I wanted it to happen as much as you guys. I just was a little more skeptical that it would. Yeah, you were right. But the, but the, the his role is larger than it was before week 13. He's getting more snaps, at least in terms of percentage. Uh, hopefully, if the week 15, they're playing the Dolphins. Should be a much, much better scoring environment. I think maybe we can expect a lot more touches for James Cook. And that they've de- they've definitely decided he needed to be playing a larger percentage of the snaps. And that was sticky from week 13. Just that the touches, maybe uh, some of us got a little ahead of ourselves. And some of us, like Pat Crane, did not. <laughs> well, I did I did want to, I will say. Yeah. Just uh, <laughs> uh, let's let's say uh Stefan Diggs here, five targets, three for thirty-seven. Uh, Gabe Davis, four targets, three for 31. Like, can we take anything from these disappointing performances? Dawson Knox leads the team with four for 41 on seven targets, gets in the end zone. Um, but still, like, if as the leading receiver, that's also not all that impressive. No, I mean, there's nothing really to take from it. It's just kind of like, I mean, Josh Allen completed 16 passes. He attempted mm-hmm. under 30 passes. Just, the volume just was not there, like, as we said, for kind of like a – cornucopia of reasons and i think it was steph's fewest receptions and fewest yards of the season just these things happen it's quite unfortunate that it happened in the final week of the fantasy regular season and you had not secured a playoff spot yet but nothing concerning it's just like one of those really rare blips all right let's move to the san francisco 49ers defeated tampa bay the tampa bay buccaneers 35 to 7 and this game, Pat, was one that was really marked by some unfortunate injuries. The game itself, not really in doubt, uh, like at all. 
but we lost Debo Samuel here to, it seems like there's a high ankle sprain, which is like probably good news. Could look like maybe he broke his ankle from the way the, the injury went down. He's really twisted. And then Brock Purdy, who had a pretty solid game here, um, very efficient game, low volume game, but very efficient. He was also injured. The Debo one obviously is the, the what, what's the word I'm looking for there? The main takeaway. Or honestly, it looked like he hurt maybe both his legs to me, where it seemed like it could be like a season-ending knee injury. Then it seemed like it could be a season-ending ankle injury. You know, they're claiming that it's not a season-ending injury with the ankle, which is a huge sigh of relief because he got rolled up in just like the ugliest possible fashion. Um, he was in tears on the cart. Um, but one of those things, I think the classic, it looked worse than it was. And he's going to miss week 15 because it's a short week against the Seahawks. I mean, absolutely zero chance he's back for Thursday night football. But I think kind of the over-under for him should be, will he play again this regular season? It seems like he'll probably be back this regular season. But I think for fantasy managers, for the like they're going to have to take the, the mindset like, the 49ers goal now has probably become to make sure Debo is healthy for the playoffs. And you're going to be in trouble if you were counting on Debo, which of course you were, if you had Debo, of course you were counting on him for the fantasy playoffs. And it's hard to really count on any meaningful contributions from him during the fantasy playoffs. At least knowing what we know now, maybe we'll get even better injury information. Maybe we'll get a clean MRI on Monday, but I would take that, that view that don't count on anything for the rest of the fantasy playoffs from Debo Samuel. Brock Purdy, he, he got uh, dinged with like an oblique, but supposedly he could have played through it. They took him out when they were winning 35-7 to seven in the fourth quarter. He did not seem overly injured. I, don't, I think the early indications are that he will play on Thursday against Seattle. Uh, okay, that, that's good news. Josh Johnson came in. Um, if you're curious who the backup quarterback behind Purdy is now, it is Josh Johnson. Um, Jordan Mason looked pretty good in this game, kind of salting things away, 11 for 56 as a rusher. So he's kind of the clear number two behind McCaffrey. But McCaffrey, the much bigger story, obviously, 14 rushes, 119 yards, and a touchdown. He also had two receptions for 34 yards and a touchdown on three targets. Feasting, McCaffrey. Yeah, feasting, living his best life. It was his first 150 yard from scrimmage performance in San Francisco in seven games, even though I think he had come really close to 150, like twice, like to like 148 or something. I was surprised. I didn't look at my stat. I asked, it's the third time in seven games. He's had 148 yards from scrimmage guys. There you go. Uh, so Jordan Mason did look good in closeout mode. He, he said he had 11 carries, but I think nine of those carries came in the final, like 17, 18 minutes when I was going back through the, the game log. So pure closeout mode. I mean, it's, it's just every week we get some new injury variable. So, you know, Debo Samuel, that of course increases the burden on Christian McCaffrey to handle like the high value touches, like every important third down. I mean, who do we think the first, first read is going to be? Of course, it's going to be Christian McCaffrey. So maybe that will create an opportunity where he just has to give away some more early down carries to Jordan Mason. But, you know, bye weeks are over now. Uh, it's it's hard. We just be guess. I, I think Jordan Mason can maybe see more non closeout time touches going forward, just because of the way bodies keep falling in this offense. But like not to a degree where you can count on him as like maybe like a sneaky flex player. He's still just like a pure uh, insurance like contingent value backup right now. What are your thoughts on you know Ayuk and Kittle with Debo out? Because it's like a little concerning with just how well this defense is playing 
Like they're they're not having to pass whatsoever. And you know, we just saw Seattle get beat by the Panthers, so it wouldn't be crazy for them to get completely shut down by this the San Francisco defense. No, but I guess maybe like the you know at some point like Brock Purdy's probably gonna have a stinker and. Maybe like counterintuitively, that'll make things better for IU and Kittle and fantasy if it increases like the volume. But we're getting kind of into like galaxy brain territory there. Uh, I think I think Kittle's been under thirty yards four of his past five games. Like mm. it's it's grim. It's real grim. And I mean, but uh, Debo's down. I mean, so like those targets have to go somewhere. But like hopefully those targets, the somewhere they go is just nowhere. And like there's this. When Debo's gone, they just eliminate those targets from the offense altogether, you know? <laughs> and they're further downfield targets. Yeah, or they become yeah. – I will say Brock Purdy had two – both of his touchdowns traveled 20-plus air yards. Uh, Jimmy Garoppolo had one touchdown travel 20-plus air yards all season. So, wow. Oh, maybe Brock Purdy. I don't know, man. Maybe I don't know. I'm just saying. Yeah. I'm just saying that the EPA for play guys are going to have a – and, you know, I'm generally part of that contingent, although I, I – my line is right around Jimmy Garoppolo. We're yeah, stop trusting the Jimmy method. Garoppolo kind of was like ruining EPA for everyone, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, I've started going more to the EPA per game because I'm going, you know, let's let's give these guys credit for actually throwing the ball sometimes. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. But Jimmy, uh, he screws up every metric. Well, I, I wonder if Brock Purdy will screw up the metrics. Uh, the That's Jimmy true. guys are going to have to start hyping Purdy now. That's true. Yeah, I mean, it's going to create quite a conundrum this week as we sift through the data. <laughs> All right, let's talk the Bucks side, which, uh, yikes. Yeah, yikes. do we need to? <laughs> Rashad White led the way with 13 rushes to Leonard Fournette's four. He had 56 yards. He also had a real bad fumble right at the end where the guy, uh, defender knocked the ball out, I believe, with his helmet. At least use, at least lose the ball to a guy punching it out. Don't let <laughs> that helmet knock it out. <laughs> no, and he also got a concussion evaluation at one point, but thankfully he stayed in the game. Uh, he got out caught by Lennon Fournette, I believe, like six to three or six to four. They appeared essentially in a 50 50. So Rashad White actually had a somewhat decisive touch advantage, I think like 19 to 10 or something. But it seemed like, in terms of snaps, I think it was basically 50 50. Some of the early snap data I saw it seemed like it was 50 50. And I mean, the, I don't know what to say other than. With as poorly as this offense is going right now, I think the backfield remains big enough for the two of them just because the targets are going to definitely be there for Fournette. They're somehow there mo- more weeks than not for White. They seem to trust White now in some like more like pure like, carry type situations they do Fournette. And, I mean, I know bye weeks are over, but they're probably going to be both but kicking around like the top 30, top 32. It, they're in a very bad offense. So I guess that is a tiebreaker working against them. But a lot of touches for both, I think, can still be assumed going forward. Yeah, a very bad offense. Maybe like an understatement in this game where Tom Brady had 4.6 yards per attempt. Yeah. And he threw for two interceptions. He did. His first two interception performance all year. Um, he did have a, He had a 68-yard touchdown to Mike Evans. They got called back by a holding penalty on Donovan Smith. And it was it was a good call, I guess. It wasn't like the worst hold I've ever seen, but it wasn't like ticky-tack. But, man, yeah, everyone thought they had finally, like, broken that big play seal, and they were going nuts and then called back. Oh, and it was early in the game, too. So it was like the class that like maybe the whole game would have been different. Maybe the whole tenor of the Bucks season have been different, uh, but it was not. <laughs> could have changed everything. Yeah, could have changed everything, including my life. 
That's a rough hold. Uh, Chris Godwin had five for 54 on nine targets. Mike Evans, because he did not have that long touchdown, only four for 44 on nine targets. Julio Jones, five for 38 on eight targets. So lots of targets when Brady has 55 passing attempts. There's plenty of targets to go around, but but not many yards. They all had like a kind of a deeper story to all those targets where another one of Mike Evans' misconnections was an end zone look that Tom Brady just kind of misfired on. Julio Jones got free down the left sideline for what should have been a deep bomb. And then maybe the worst deep ball of Tom Brady's career. Like the first one that I thought was kind of like truly concerning that I've seen all year, like, wow, like maybe his arm is cooked. Like it was really, really underthrown, like kind of like shockingly bad deep ball from Tom Brady. And then he had a really bad hospital ball to Chris Godwin that got him lit up uh, like kind of like a defenseless receiver type hit, but thankfully he got up. And was okay. Uh, rough, rough day for the the Brady receiving squad. All right, Patrick Darty. Thanks. My pleasure. Rough day for me too. Uh, my pleasure, though. We'll be better next week. <laughs> the longest field goal ever attempted is seventy six yards. The longest field goal ever missed, also seventy six yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Do you want a beautiful lawn? Enter True Green, the easiest way to get a great lawn. Just water and mow, and they'll do the rest. Weed control, fertilization, aeration, and more. True Green is the official lawn care treatment provider of the PGA Tour, and they have a verified best price, which guarantees you the lowest price with no compromise on quality. You do you. Let True Green do your lawn care. Visit TrueGreen.com, T-R-U-G-R-E-E-N.com to get the best lawn at the best price with the best people. Guaranteed. Download the RotoWorld app to receive breaking player news all season long. Stay ahead of the competition by favoriting players on your rosters. Get the latest injury updates, player news, and much more delivered right to your phone. It's available in your app store today. The Ravens defeated the Steelers 16-14. to And Zach Kruger, J.K. Dobbins returned in this game, but we had Tyler Huntley exit this game. Yeah, so so the Tyler Huntley, he he was in concussion protocol in the third quarter. He left after trying to pick up a first down. He took a hit. He left the field, and that gave way to, I believe it was Anthony Brown, a rookie quarterback out of Oregon, um, one of those guys who you're surprised to find out he's in the league, and then you find out he's in the league when a guy like Tyler Huntley goes down. But it Huntley's exit very quickly led the way to just a, a run-heavy approach for the Ravens. They were all kind of – already kind of working their way through to begin with it. There was a lot of running in this one. Uh, The Ravens had not just J.K. Dobbins back, but also Gus Edwards. Dobbins ended up ripping off a 44-yard run in this game. He ended up scoring, I believe it was on the very next play, after he was tackled just a few yards short of the end zone. And then Gus Edwards also showed up for 13 carries for 66 yards, which was nice for him after having a down week last week where he gave way to Kenyon Drake. Um, so so kind of a, a funny game to see that the Ravens have both of their two leading backs really back and healthy for the first time all season, it appears. And then ironically, in that one game where they're back, the third lead runner on that team, obviously the most important one, Lamar Jackson, is not in the game. They have to go to Huntley, who also ended up exiting. But it was a very encouraging day for the Ravens overall on the ground. I thought seeing both of their backs come in, play well, and leave 
with what appears to be, uh, you know, all health intact, ready for the following game against the Browns in Week 15. How did Dobbins look to you? I, on a long run, I, I it felt like he maybe his gait was a little odd to me, but he was ripping off long runs, 44-yard run here. He had a touchdown. So, I mean, the production was there. Yeah, no, I, I agree with you. Uh, on, on the few long runs that he did break off, I didn't think that he looked particularly as fast and explosive as we were used to seeing in that 2020 season. Certainly part of that could be from the fact that not only did he have a torn ACL that he was working his way back from through several months, but then he also had a setback earlier this year, which led to additional rehab and then his first game back. So I'm sure he's not anywhere close to being in the football shape that he would like to be in after going through some extensive rehab just to get back onto the field. It was good to see him hit those explosive runs. That Those runs more so came from just wide open holes that he was able to hit with no defenders in sight, and then it became a, a matter of chasing him down to stop him before he got to the end zone. But, I mean, the fact that he was able to at least spot those holes and get through and, and, and make some big plays, I thought, was at least encouraging. Hopefully some of that speed will pick up in the coming weeks, especially if they're going to look to make a little bit of a run with the playoffs coming up soon. In the passing game, a big no-show game from Mark Andrews, two for 17 on six targets for him. Demarcus Robinson led the team with five for 52. Deshaun Jackson had two for 34 on two targets. Uh, and Andrews, 17 yards were good enough for third on the team. Kenyon Drake, the only other Raven to have a reception in this game, and he only had one yard. So yeah. there really was nothing going in the pass game, which you would expect. Get you know they're already down to Huntley, and then they lose him with plenty yeah. of time left. Yeah, well, we, we have seen in the past last year, uh, Mark Andrews actually was better from a fantasy points per game perspective last season with Huntley in the lineup rather than Lamar Jackson. So there was some optimism that maybe it would be another big fantasy day for him. Six targets certainly isn't a horrible you know, target line for Mark Andrews. But when you're really catching two of those six targets for 17 yards, that's going to leave a lot to be desired. It was not a great day for him. Um, and he's one of those guys where he disappeared on the box score and he disappeared in the game kind of too. Like he, he wasn't somebody who you were spotting too often, even on those targets as a guy who like, oh, good, like he, he's making plays, he's getting open, he's, he's getting things done. It was just kind of, you know, those targets showed up when they did. He didn't do much with them. You move on to the next play. And that was just sort of the way it went. Hopefully... If the Ravens are able to have Huntley back next week, we'll see how that goes. John Harbaugh said that Huntley seems to be good right now, but certainly we know he's going to have to pass concussion protocol to be on the field in Week 15 against the Browns. But if he is, hopefully Huntley and Mark Andrews can reignite a little bit of the, um, the, the I guess the synergy is the right word. I may correct me if not, but but synergy as well. Yeah, chemistry is what we'll go with. We'll go with chemistry uh, they had last season. Hopefully they'll be able to to get that going next week against the Browns if they're both able to to play with Huntley currently probably heading for concussion protocol. On the Steelers' side, Kenny Pickett only had one attempt in this game, and then on a sack that he took, uh, he kind of escaped from one defender, second defender wraps him up, takes him to the ground very hard, and exits the game with a concussion. So then Mitch Trubisky takes over. He threw for three interceptions, 276 yards, though, and a touchdown on 30 attempts. That part, not so bad, but obviously the interceptions are not good. Yeah, interceptions aren't good. I, I, I was doing some research uh, after the game, so I was curious. I found they were even worse to throw in the red zone, uh, which he had two of them. So, so, so it's even worse when you're within what they call scoring range. Uh, when you throw in those scoring range possessions, come away with zero points. Pickett actually weirdly had some moments where he looked like he was kind of decent moving the ball downfield. He went 22 of 30 passing. Like you're, you're not really going to complain about that 
that from a completion standpoint, 276 yards, but with just the one touchdown and three interceptions, two of which came in critical moments down in the red zone, as I previously said. And, and he was just kind of lobbing them to lurking defenders where you, you would say that maybe a quarterback with a little bit more spatial awareness of what's going on in the field isn't going to throw those picks, but Mitchell Trubisky might not be that guy. And he threw two of them to lurking linebackers, uh, Roquan Smith on the first one and then Patrick Queen on the second one. Uh, which are, those are the two that came in the red zone. And it just, you know, it, it, it completely caps your offense's upside in a game that that ended up resulting in a 16 to, to 14 outing. Like the, those are points you could have used. That's potentially six points left on the board. And Trubisky just kind of gave those away. So uh, not a very encouraging game for him from that perspective. But at, at times he did have moments where he was leading drives down the field, looking to set the Steelers up in position for – Potential points, and then he just inevitably threw it away because I think at this point in time, that's what Mitchell Trubisky does. Um, and <laughs> I guess it's why Kenny Pickett was in there in the first place, but but certainly they're going to want to have him healthy for next week against the Panthers, as he now also is likely headed for concussion protocol. Yeah, for sure. Uh, Deontay Johnson, six for 82 on eight targets. George Pickens had three for 78 on three. Uh, Pat Fryermuth had three for 33 and a touchdown on six targets. So the top three guys, you know, leading the way, but there's just not all that much production here. Although, you know, given what we'd seen out of like Deontay Johnson, I, I don't know that six for 82 is necessarily considered like a bad game or anything, or even a midland yeah. game. It might be a, it might be a spike week for Deontay Johnson these days. Um, so, yeah, I don't know that there's too much to take from that, especially since they won't be catching passes from Trubisky soon, although they, they obviously could be next week. Uh, but Najee Harris, I wanted to ask you about, he had 12 rushes for 33 yards and a touchdown. And this seems like the type of game where you might have seen them pivot to more Najee Harris, uh, you know, because they lost Pickett. Harris also had three targets for going two for 17, but they didn't really kind of lean on the run game or Harris here, which I get. He had 2.8 yards per carry, so maybe they just don't view that as a realistic option. Yeah, I, I mean, Najee, I think, is going to be the guy who the Steelers are going to still try to stubbornly feed whenever they get a chance to. Certainly after going for 86 yards on 17 carries last week, I'm sure there was a little bit of uh, reignited belief in him being able to to, to eventually find a way to, to crack the Ravens defense at some point in time. He did get in for a short score, but it, it's just another one of those cases where Najee Harris is just consistently getting looks and consistently being stuffed and, and being anything far from the – uh, efficient running back that you would hope to see when you're drafted in the first round in just your second season. But and, and the Ravens defense, to their credit, is good. I think Roquan Smith has really done a lot to also shore up that linebacking core, allowing Patrick Queen to do a little bit more on defense and having to focus, you know, solely in one area um, of, of the defense on any given down and distance. Roquan Smith kind of allows Patrick Queen to work a little bit more in his own way. And Roquan Smith himself is a dominant player who, who I, you know, can change the game at any point in time. He did so with the interception today. So um, I, I think the overall Ravens defense is going to continue to show up and, and make good plays and and make critical stops against these these teams when it comes to running the ball. And certainly a team like the Steelers and Najee Harris, they're not one of the most efficient running teams. And despite the fact that he was getting stuff, they just couldn't seem to get away from him, whether that had to do with Trubisky and his interceptions and then just wanting to hope that they could find a way to get in on the ground or if it was just Mike Tomlin being stubborn, I'm really not quite sure. But I, I think they'll just keep going to Harris because he's their first round back. He, he's shown flashes at, at times, probably at least in their opinion. And I, I still think they like him significantly more than they do Jalen Warren, who had just three carries for 11 yards. All right, Zach Kruger. Appreciate it. All right, Pat Grain. Have a good one. All right, that'll do it for the Week 14 Recap Podcast. Make sure to check out all the great work we're going to have for you on the site 
thisweekrotoworld.com. Make sure to check out the rest of the podcast that we have for you, especially our preview podcast comes out on Thursday, and we'll be back here for the Week 15 Recap Podcast next Sunday night. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand.